Please note that this podcast contains explicit content and adult language. It may not be suitable for listeners under 18. This call is now being recorded. Okay. If you could just introduce yourself, and then we'll just go from there. So my name is Dr. Kelly Campbell, and I'm a professor of psychology at California State University, San Bernardino. And in terms of my research, I study couple relationships and friendships, and one of my areas of expertise is catfishing. It's a very different line of work, and I don't know of anyone who's studying that type, the catfishing type. Um, I believe I'm the only one, at least, that's, that's publishing on it. My name is Robert Hoxie. My name is Julia Pink. This is Fine Bailey, episode six. In 2013, at the height of his college football career, Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo's girlfriend died of leukemia. The story of his loss made national headlines. His heartbreak soon turned into stories of inspiration and triumph as Teo led his team to the national championship and finished second in the Heisman voting, college football's most coveted award. Months later, Deadspin uncovered that it was all a hoax and Manti, was indeed a victim of catfishing. In October 2020, a healthcare CEO sued Brad Pitt for $100,000. She claimed Pitt approached her in 2018, that the two struck up a relationship and even discussed getting married. Then, they made a business agreement that she would plan charity events in which he would attend. Despite him collecting his speaking fee, Brad Pitt failed to show up five times and pocketed a sum of around $40,000. Pitt's team moved to dismiss the case, citing that he had never been in touch with the woman. It appeared that she'd been a victim of a celebrity internet scam. In early May of 2020, Deontay Hicks drove from Dallas to Houston to meet a girl he had met online. Around 4.20, the morning of May 10th, Hicks was found shot dead outside his car. His family says he was lured there by a catfish account who robbed and murdered him. We could go on for hours. In the news alone, there are hundreds of reported catfish cases, and likely hundreds more that go unreported. The varying degrees of lies and downright evil put catfish on a moral spectrum. What drove these people to lie? Money, power, love, attention, just for the pleasure of manipulating another person? As unique as our catfish story is, we also wanted to better understand what makes it the same. That's how we came across John Suler's book, which we've been quoting throughout this podcast. His research covers a wide range of topics regarding the psychology of cyberspace. And because of John Suler's research, we've been able to garner a better understanding of the effects social media is having on humans. But what about catfishing specifically? Ironically, we scoured the internet, and to our surprise, there's actually very little research being done. We found almost nothing. Almost nothing. There was one person whose name kept popping up in our search. She's quoted in various articles and sourced in many more. It was no wonder, because from everything we could tell, she may be the only one who's actually studying catfish. So my name is Dr. Kelly Campbell. And I'm a professor of psychology at California State University, San Bernardino. And in terms of my research, I study couple relationships and friendships. And one of my areas of expertise is catfishing. So what what drew you to catfishing? Mostly, I, I was drawn to the topic of catfishing because I noticed that there was a gap in the research. So there were not any studies that I had read about the topic. And yet the phenomenon was so widespread through the media, through the documentary film that had come out, then the MTV show, and then um, 
famous cases like Manti Teo, for example, and several others that followed after that. So there was wide interest in the topic, but yet there wasn't any empirical research to examine it. And so I saw that gap, and given that I study couple relationships, and this is a very unique type of relationship, I thought, why not um, try to fill this gap and get some research out there so that people can better understand these relationships. You know, when we study different topics, we want there to be an important reason to do so. Like, sometimes there's no research out there because it's not an important topic to investigate. But I knew this was an important topic because deception is associated with a lot of negative outcomes like anger, uh, sadness, reduced self-esteem, and even in some famous catfish cases, you know, they can be associated with very serious outcomes like suicide or homicide even. I knew that people were suffering as a result of these relationships, and so it wasn't just a lack of research, but that it was an important area to study as well. In preparation for this interview with Dr. Campbell, we realized the terminology that she was using was much different than ours. Up until this point, we've been referring to people who were catfished as victims, and we were always reluctant to use that term. Dr. Campbell felt the same way. So when I first started writing up my, my first paper on this topic, I was referring to the targets as victims, and something didn't sit right about it. I had to, to, to think of what's really the best term that I could use to describe these people, and I, I decided on the term targets, and the reason why is because in most cases, the perpetrators are purposely targeting that person. They find the person online, often through social media, they look at their profile, they tailor themselves to that person's likes, their preferences, and so they become a catfish that's very appealing to that target. So, so I thought the word target was very appropriate because it just seemed to describe what's happening to a lot of these people. They're getting targeted, and in some cases, I don't study this in depth, but they're what we call romance scams, and that's where people are just trying to get money out of the, the target. But that, again, is another example of a person being targeted and the perpetrator making themselves into exactly what the target would want in terms of a romantic partner, tailoring themselves to that person's needs and desires. And so it just seems to be a good term and it stuck and that's, that's the term I use. Perpetrators I didn't ever really think about. Was there another term I wanted to use? It seemed to right. fit right from the start. <laughs> I'm not so sure that this idea that Bailey tailored herself to Stephen applies in this case. Because we know that Stephen actually added Bailey. He found her. Right. So Bailey has this established personality already over many years prior to meeting Stephen. However, she also has multiple targets. We can assume that they reached out to her too, just like Stephen did. In one of your studies, it says that over 50% of the participants reported choosing their identity based on becoming their ideal self. Our catfish, she, she played the, the role of multiple identities. So usually what we find is that these multiple identities are created in order to support the main identity so that people don't catch on that the main identity is a fraud. But um, in the cases where a person has multiple identities to actually maintain different relationships, this relates back to one of the uh, main findings from my work, which is that one of the biggest, strongest predictors of catfish perpetration is narcissism. And people who are high on that trait they tend to espouse uh, a game-playing style of love, and I don't even want to call it love, I would say maybe of relationships, where they 
they get a boost to their self-esteem. They feel good about themselves when they're able to maintain the attention of multiple partners at once. And so when people are creating those identities for maintaining those multiple relationships at the same time, I would say probably this person is high on the trait of narcissism. What about the lies they tell? Finding your research that they ever reflected any real truth about themselves? Many of the perpetrators, they present a false self online, and so they feel as though they know that person they're presenting is fake, but they feel as though the intrinsic self is the same. Not in all cases, because some people are actually doing the opposite, like they're presenting different intrinsic qualities online, but most people are not. So they're presenting a, a fake physical self, but the intrinsic qualities are the same. And so if you look at the extent to which participants in my research, if we compare the perpetrators to targets in terms of the feelings they experience, like love, satisfaction, and we look at the, the reports from the best time in the relationship, um, you'll find that perpetrators are higher on those attributes. So they're still experiencing a lot of those relationship benefits and to a greater extent than the targets are. So many of the perpetrators, like the ones I interviewed, for example, they want to meet the target offline. They've fallen in love. They feel very strongly about this person. It's just this physical, um, you know, this persona they've presented as false, and so they're very worried about that. Um, and in some cases, they do reveal themselves, and uh, the target completely rejects them once they discover the lie. And that just, you know, likely reinforces their view that they're not worthy enough. They're, people won't accept them for, for who they really are, but really it's the betrayal that the target is so upset about, not... Um, you know, necessarily how this person looks. So in those cases, people are really themselves, you know, they're, they're showing their true self to this person. It's just they're presenting a different physical self. I have another John Suler quote I want to read. A great deal of intimacy is possible simply by communicating with someone through typed text, which should come as no surprise, given the fact that throughout history, love has flourished via letter correspondence. Within the text relationships, some people believe that they're more directly encountering the mind, heart, and even the soul of their loved ones, because they're not distracted or misled by physical appearances, as in real life. One of the telling pieces of evidence when we found the catfish was how similar Bailey's profile was to her own. If you remember Stephen explaining it in episode 5. And they think the Marilyn Monroe shit, the... the, the the obsession with all this goth stuff. What the little boy's name? That, that, that was the, that was the, like, yep, this is it. But Dr. Campbell's findings also reminds us of Sonny's interview in episode four. On Tumblr, this account with Dustin's picture or whoever that was, um, followed me and befriended me. So was this where it all began? With a male persona on Tumblr? We shouldn't speculate her motivation. There were a lot of different motivations for why perpetrators did this. So we've, we've talked a little bit about emulating an ideal self. And so a person might say, I chose the identity I did because it was the person I've always dreamed of being. And that's like pretty much an exact quote from one of my participants. Um, another one, enhancing their mate value, so just appearing as better than they are in real life or what they perceive to be better. Um, but some other reasons of why people did it, um, some don't even know. They just did it for fun. And one thing led to another, and now they're involved in this relationship, and they don't want to tell the truth because they feel like the truth is going to be more harmful. 
to the person that they're involved with. So kind of like an entertainment and an unknown reason is, is, a, is one of the reasons. Testing the fidelity of a significant other, um, mm -hmm. testing out a different gender, personality, sexual orientation, those are all reasons that um, perpetrators identified as to why they created this fake identity. Revisiting the question that we heard over and over again, anytime we told someone this story, how could Stephen have gotten so involved with a person who lived thousands of miles away and he had never met? I, I started out wanting to understand the extent to which catfish relationships parallel face-to-face -face relationships. And so what I noticed right from the start was that many of these catfish relationships, they go on for years. Like I had the range in my sample went up to 17 years that a person is you know, engaging in this relationship and yet they've never met in person. But they're not atypical. There's other, you know, many people in my sample, it, it's going on for more than one year. So this is a long-term thing. And so I thought to myself, why would a person stay in this kind of relationship unless they're getting the same types of rewards or benefits that people attain from their face-to-face -face relationships? And so that's really at the start of it what I wanted to understand. To what extent do these exclusively online romantic relationships parallel or provide the same benefits as face-to-face -face relationships and really what those things would be is that you know in life we just want to feel understood we want to feel validated and appreciated and respected I was thinking that well maybe some of these people are getting those very same benefits out of an exclusively online relationship and what I have since found is that yes many times they are but not to the same extent that people have those attributes in their face-to-face -face relationships or at least not for as um, an extended period of time as you would find in offline relationships because usually the target does start to wonder is this person who they say they are and many times they don't even want to investigate it or look into it because they're getting some of those benefits but there's always that question of you know is it is it what I think it is you know, there's always a part of me that knew something was up. It's almost like there's two sides in me, you know? It's like there's one side that knew that something was up, but I didn't, it's like I didn't care or something. You know, it's almost like I knew it was, it, there were some things that needed to be answered, but I, I was not, uh, it's not like I was fighting with myself, but I was just not, not even going there. Just didn't want to touch it. I always recommend that people work on themselves before they get into any romantic relationship because when you have high self-esteem, you won't accept poor treatment from another person. You expect to be treated in the way that you treat yourself. You're the first example of how you expect to be treated. You show the world by the way you treat yourself. And so having a person like a perpetrator who's making excuse after excuse of why they can't meet up in person, this is not usually meeting the target's needs because the target wants to meet up. And so a person with high self-esteem is not going to tolerate that. After maybe one time, they might say, okay, I'll give a second chance. But after the second time, they're not going to stick around for it. So that's some advice I always give people, no matter whether it's in these catfish relationships or in offline relationships, is just boost your self-esteem and the relationship will take care of itself. And the first question I ask all my interview participants is, tell me about your catfish relationship. And then I just let them see what they say. And some people just talk for like half an hour and other people just say a few things. So the first, so this, this surprising lady, she said to me, she goes, well, I had been in a relationship for two years and um, we finally broke it off and I wasn't in the mood to date anyone seriously. I wanted time for myself and to just get to know myself again. 
but I was going out, you know, to nightclubs with my friends, and I kept seeing this one guy every time I'd go out, and he'd try to approach me and convince me to to date him. And then I saw him at the beach, and he was actually with my friend, and I said, I'm just going to stop you here because I, I just want to make sure that you understand the premise of my work. It's that I'm I'm looking to interview people who have only online relationships that they haven't met that person in real life and she's like no this is online and so I was like the the nightclubs and the beach and she's like yeah it's in a virtual world that I um that's where I live and I was like what is it and she said yeah I um I just wake up each morning and I log in and I have my avatar and I I just make my living that way I have a store there and I create clothing and jewelry for other people's avatars and that's how I pay my rent and utilities but that's where I live my life so I just stay out there until I go to bed and then I log back in each day and I was blown away because I thought you know like most clinicians or researchers might define this person as pretty dysfunctional because their whole life is lived in a virtual world but I had to start questioning what is healthy and normal and usually by clinical definitions, they say, well, if you can meet your basic needs and, and daily living and you don't have behaviors that are disruptive of that, then there's not much need for concern. So I was like, she's meeting her needs. I mean, she's paying her rent and utilities. And, and in fact, all her relationships had been in a virtual world. She hadn't had any in, in person in real life. And so it just um, made me redefine relationships to be a lot more expansive and to say that who am I to say that her relationships on the, in the virtual world are any less than in-person relationships? These perpetrators are very skilled at what they do. They have all kinds of tricks. The perpetrators are usually serial perpetrators. It's not just one relationship. Catfish perpetration, the, the catfish that are out there, I don't think it's that common. The, you know, It's common in the sense that it's happening, but it's not like a large percentage of our population that's doing this. I actually asked my participants whether they thought this is something that would continue, and they all did think it would continue. Um, I myself, I, I agree. I think it will continue into future generations. The, the internet affords this, um, this medium to be able to do it so easily. And so it can be more common now because of this, this forum, but it's not something brand new. It has happened in other ways and it has happened across time. If a person is going to be willing to talk about the fact that they're a perpetrator and really admit to it, it has to be on their own terms when the time is right for them. I don't think that we can talk anyone into this. We can't say, we can't convince them that the time is now, unless they're ready. Still to come on Fine Bailey. Hi, Kimberly. I've actually been looking for you for weeks now. This may sound very strange and come to a complete shock to you, but I've discovered that Bailey Jester is in fact a fraudulent catfish account who has been stealing your photos for the past eight years. Even after I outed her like a month later, she reappeared. I really want to find the new account or I want to find the next Bailey. This podcast was written and produced by Robert E. Hoxie and Julia Pink. Special thanks to Dr. Kelly Campbell for taking the time to talk to us and share her knowledge for this story.